0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of year. March Madness. Whether your team's on the bubble or in the big dance, rooting for Houston or Purdue, Big East or Big Twelve, Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered with all the props, odds, promos, and parlays for this year's March Madness. Use our promo code Believe Fifty. That's B L E A V five zero to get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take. It Easy Podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous first day of March. It's Wednesday, March 1st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever it is. That you may be listening. We have our friend Juju Talk Sports joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast. Juju and I do some YouTube stuff together. And this week we have got a fantabulous, fantabulous show coming at you. We're going to talk about the Boston Celtics. We're going to talk about Major League Baseball rule changes. And Juju and I laughing at all these boomers who are getting upset about rule changes that are clearly a good idea. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and both of their coordinators leaving and me thinking that they're kind of in the 2020 Buffalo Bills territory now that they know they have a quarterback who they're getting ready to extend. We're going to talk about all five of the NFL head coaching hirings. We've got a little bit of everything coming at you on a Sports Radio Wednesday. I'm very excited to share it with all of you here today. You can follow the YouTube channel if you want to watch the video versions of the show. All of your support is greatly appreciated. I don't have an A-block today. I don't have anything to promote other than continually promoting the, our new book, The Spurs Dynasty. It's available wherever you get books. There's links in the description to this episode for all of our work, including our brand new book. So without further ado, let's turn the podcast over to our friend Juju Talk Sports and myself for a classic sports radio Wednesday. And we begin by talking about the Boston Celtics and extending Joe Missoula, playoff potentials, Jason Tatum, the depth of the team, all of that and more as we kick off our first Sports Radio Wednesday on this first day of March in 2023.
1: So the Boston Celtics are back at the top of the Eastern Conference standings, a half game ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks. But the bigger news for the Celtics, as they sit in the All-Star break, is that head coach, now head coach, Joe Mazzulla, gets to ditch the interim tag. Coming off the off-season news of Ime Adoka, all Celtics fans were a little unsure of what they would get out of Mazzulla. But right now, according to Vegas, he is leading the coach of the year standings in the NBA Kyle, what do you think of what the new head coach of the Boston Celtics has been able to do in year one? I heard a really good analysis
0: from Bomani Jones, and I want to give credit to him because uh, his podcast is really good. And they were talking about how one of the things Missoula has done this year has been smart about letting the celtics figure it out sometimes when they get into the cycle of tatum just goes to post up moves and jalen brown's giving you his 20 but he's not really making uh the impact that you might expect from a number two star or whatever it might be he just kind of looks at them like you gonna figure this out or what and obviously the celtics have only played you know their top three players together about 30 percent of the time this year which is like you know welcome to the nba they have gone through the the trials and tribulations of trying to work stuff out. And even as, the, and this is what you should do in the regular season. When the regular season doesn't matter to the Celtics, you know you're one of the four best teams in the sport. You know your team is deep. This is where you test stuff out. And so I think that's a credit to Missoula of recognizing like what we can use this regular season for.
1: I think you really only do that if you're the Celtics, given that you are coming off a short end offseason, being that you were in the finals, rest starts to become a little bit more important in the regular season only in this standpoint. And obviously I'm a guy that hates stuff like load management, but I do approve for it in the right circumstance. I think from a fan perspective, obviously the wrong circumstance is when you're facing the Milwaukee Bucks. I think fans (laughs) want to see that matchup happen without all the starters on the bench. Understandable, there were some guys that were banged up Jason Tatum was a true rest in that game. Uh, they got this half-game lead on the Bucks, so I don't think the Celtics get too comfortable. They have to still push to get that number one seed and everything. If For nothing else, if you go to a Game 7, it's nice to have the TD Garden fans in your corner. Obviously, we saw the Bucs and Celtics be able to go to a seven-game series and The Celtics were able to win on the road in some of those circumstances. So it's not a definitive thing like they need to have home court advantage, but it is always a nice luxury just to be within the friendly confines. You mentioned that his willingness to let the Celtics work things out. It can get frustrating at times when you're just like, dude, call a timeout, call a timeout. Come on, And Clearly, whatever's happening on the court right now at this point, is not working. Call a timeout. Hopefully that that's just his regular season strategy and not his playoff strategy. Because when you get into the playoffs and you see something isn't working out and you're not calling timeouts, that's a problem. <laughs> you lose any game of the playoffs, then suddenly your odds of winning that series just dramatically go down. So hopefully that that's not something that burns them later, but. No, to come in in this situation under these circumstances and pick up this team, there was a weak stretch in the offseason where it just seemed like everything was falling in on itself for the Boston Celtics. Uh, it wasn't just like EME, like, um, Danilo Gallinari they just signed he tears his ACL like immediately there was you know some more off season chatter about Kevin Durant to the Boston Celtics which caused some friction between Jalen Brown and Celtics fans who were constantly photoshopping Kevin Durant in a Celtics jersey <laughs> there was a weak stretch there that was gained really awkward to get to this point where again they're at the top of the Eastern Conference Joe Mazzola is the full-time head coach Jalen Brown aside from facial fractures, still performing admirably. Jason Tatum, right now, Courtney polls Nikola Jokic is the NBA MVP, but I think competing at an NBA MVP level, you look at what he's done scoring-wise. Well, I saw a stat the other day that if you take away free throws, Jason Tatum's leading the NBA in scoring. I think that that's a fantastic mark for him as we kind of throw out the Kobe comparisons. Is, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really impressed with this team. And I think that Joe has left his mark, left his impact on this team. I don't think it's just him inheriting a great team and them going because other coaches, coaches of less higher esteem would fold under this type of pressure of taking over a championship team.
0: So I guess we'll do the Tatum MVP thing, basically um, in the NBA you get a bump. If you are, if you play on a team that is the best record in the league, you usually get a bump in the MVP camp. Sometimes if you're the, uh, shall we say third, fourth best player in the sport, but you play on the best team, sometimes we'll look aside and give you some MVP bump per se. And Tatum's getting that MVP bump. The thing is, it's taking him from like the eighth best player to the fourth best player right now. Like the, the reason Tatum won't win MVP is because there is no statistical case for Jason Tatum to win MVP over Jokic Uh, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, then probably him in that group after that. But if he had the statistical case, I think he would get the bump to potentially win the MVP just because people are looking for anyone to give the MVP to other than Jokic this year.
1: (laughs) Best player, best team, Jokic, I'm tired of it. Triple doubles, overrated, but... (laughs)
0: yeah no i totally understand that if jason tatum were the were statistically like according to efficiency ratings and uh win shares if he were like the third best player in the nba right now they would probably bump him up and give him the mvp the thing is he's like the ninth he's ninth in win shares he's eighth in efficiency rating right now so he's just not quite statistically there and and he's done great things this year like being a top seven player in the sport is incredible because one of the people above him is Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis hasn't played very many games so if you know I to right give there. him a
1: bump I would say intangible wise I do think that what Tatum's done growth wise from a leadership perspective is much improved this season and he had already jumped into last season being a top 10 player I, I think that we've seen improvement on that even this year yeah I get it there's all these nerdy advanced metrics to discount it. But Tatum's my MVP. That's that's my MVP. (laughs) Look, 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 look. There's only one MVP in the sport.
0: So it's not like Tatum's been bad at all. He's going to probably make the All-NBA first team this year. And if not the first team, he'll be the first player picked on the second team. So, Listen,
1: the anti-Nikola Jokic third MVP in a row is another video for another day. But (laughs) I think that Jason Tatum... The The larger point of this video is just to talk about kind of like where the Celtics are, do a pulse check on where they are at this point. Now, again, they still have to fight off this Milwaukee Bucks. And that's why it's a little disappointing when you do rest the starters and you're only a couple games up on them in the standings. But they still seem like so you look at the composition of the East, right? So. Really only look at the, the Boston Celtics Bucks as true contenders out of the East, right? Nope. I, I will throw the 76ers in that group. The 76ers can win the Eastern Conference. The problem
0: is they have to play the Bucks and Celtics.
1: Yeah, I don't buy it. And maybe this is also just being my my confidence My on this one. <laughs> the Celtics own the 76ers. Own yeah. <laughs> the 76ers. Joel Embiid literally has a quote out there. It's not a rivalry. They kick our ass every time. That is held up every time the Boston Celtics play the 76ers. So I'm not worried about it. The Nets, obviously, they're in free fall. Cavaliers, fun, but I I don't see them as contenders anymore at this point in the season. Um, And then you just look at the Raskin on Knicks, Heat, Hawks. Yeah, it's
0: basically whoever whoever gets the four seed in the the East is going to be this year's New York Giants. It's like, yay, you made it to the second round. Now get smoked by Boston or Milwaukee.
1: (laughs) I, I think because... Of the Celtics depth, the fact that they just run 10 guys deep, you know, and then you do have the two stars at the top and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It just makes them so versatile, so deadly when they can always kick it up offensively when they want. We know that they're able to settle in defensively. They were obviously the league's best defensive team last year, and that's why they got to the finals. The fact that they can just pull out number one defense out of their back pocket while also having one of the highest scoring offenses in the league is why the Celtics are at this point in the season. They can beat you in so many different ways. They're such a versatile team. And yeah, that's why I still look at them as the favorites out of the East, even though I do recognize that Giannis is the best player in the East. Kyle, we're seeing the first instance of the pitch clock coming into the deciding factor of a game. We had a tie baseball game, spring training, of course, but tie baseball game. Cal Conley stepped into the box, didn't get set, automatic strike, bases loaded, end of the game. So there's a lot of people upset about this. Oh, you're ruining the game. This is the worst thing ever. Screw the pitch clock. I don't hate it. How about you?
0: No, no, it's going to be very fun to watch this happen over the next few months where all these people who hate the change are going to be like, this is ridiculous. It's going to be the end of the sport as we know it. You know what else they said the same thing for when instant replay began in the 2000s? Hey, it's going to be the end of the sports <laughs> world as we know it. It's just it's what funny to see human everyone. Element. Get upset.
1: People make mistakes. <laughs> so should umpires, right? No. We have a rule book. Let's get the calls right. We have the technology. We can rebuild this game.
0: <laughs> really, for all the hatred of umpires and referees everywhere, this is the time where you're going to say, you know what? Let's give the referee the benefit of the doubt, you know? Let's, let's, let's give them the <laughs> chance to be wrong. <laughs> Really, as y'all were calling for the public execution of the referees in the Super Bowl, all, for making a correct call on a hold on Juju Smith-Schuster, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, let's let the refs have the discrepancy yeah. to call do, the game. Do we
1: really want more, what, what's the name, Jim Joyce, Andres Galarraga <laughs> moments? Do, is that what we want? The more history ruined by like a clearly incorrect call at first base or home plate or whatever the call happens. Yeah, Uh, Galarraga (laughs) is probably more famous because of the perfect game that didn't happen. But (laughs) I'm sorry that I want to see like our moments in sports unsullied by resistance to technology. And when it comes to the that's instant replay, that's a whole different discussion. Well, when it comes to the pitch clock in general, people are saying like, oh, man, is that 30 minutes really worth ruining the game? Well, here's the thing. We know what culture we live in now. We we know that we live in a little bit of an instant gratification, microwave culture. Like if things aren't done, like in the next 30 seconds, TikTok, just move on to the next subject. Baseball. They do need to quicken the pace a little bit. I think that we all kind of agree with that. And why do I need to see a guy on the pitching mound readjust his crotch every 30 seconds to feel like the game is at a satisfactory pace? Do I have to see the batter jump out of the batting box every 10 seconds to mess with his wristbands or his batting gloves is that really the game or is the game what's happening on the actual diamond what's happening as soon as the pitch leaves the pitcher's hands that's what the game is to me not all the weird adjustments happening in the game you know so baseball has been saying for years
0: that they want to shorten the games and the addition of a pitch clock will subtract on average based on minor league data between 27 and 31 minutes from a baseball game and it's not like it's a dramatic change to the game it's a pitch clock like it's a shot clock in basketball basically that is a really easy fix that will achieve a massive change in how long the games are and so it's a great idea and it's going to take some time to adjust and just like when they just did the intentional walk thing where you didn't have to throw four balls outside after about six months everyone's going to forget about it because it's totally
1: normal yeah an honest question here again like do you need to see the guy messing with his pants is that really that important to you or what's important to you is the actual pitch itself the actual swing of the bat the diving play the all this you know there's also talk you know of course we're talking about this subject because it did come into play we have expanded bases ending of the shift I think all of these are really good changes to the game First off, you look at some of the stolen base numbers of 30 years ago, and it's just hard to fathom our guys even coming close to them. No one's touching like Ricky Henderson's stolen base record. It's just impossible because the highest base stiller the last few years has been somewhere around like 50 stolen bases. With the expanded bases, we might see a guy get like 60, 70, 80 stolen bases in a year. Because guys are going to be more willing to run, especially too when you, the fact that they can't even do the pickoff play more than I want to say twice in an at-bat, that's going to be really fun to watch. We're going to see more of that cat and mouse game that we've been yearning for. Catchers are going to be so much more important now that they're going to have to throw out more runners at second base. We're going to see a lot more of those plays factor into games moving forward. You know, I mentioned the ending of the shift. You know, it's weird because I didn't think that like baseball traditionalists were going to be upset about this one because the shift is a fairly new age concept as we move into analytics. But just the fact that we'll have more action on the base paths now that they're going to have an opportunity to kind of like get a few more seeing eye ground balls than they used to get with the second baseman playing right field. That's fun to me. The fact that there's going to be action on the base paths, the fact that there's going to be stolen base attempts, the fact that we're not going to spend three minutes waiting for a guy to throw a routine fastball after shaking off his catcher 20 times that's all good stuff to me
0: that one's interesting because the the shift rule and the larger bases are going to be interesting because the reason stolen bases are down so much is not because the athletes are lesser it's that all the data points to the stolen base just is not worth it like stealing a single base for risking a single out all the data shows it's just not worth the well, risk well, reward. Yes, uh,
1: what's the line in money ball that I pay you to get on first base. I don't pay you to get thrown out at second. Okay, I get that. That's that's yeah. true. But there are guys that have the ability to steal bases that don't, that I think they're going to be a lot more inclined to steal bases with the expanded base. If we're going to pick apart like the rules of the game, that's like an underutilized rule that I think has provided a lot of joy. Again, when Ricky Henderson was stealing like hundreds of bases in his prime, People were like, oh my God, Ricky Henderson's is on base. This is going to be like a treat to watch. Just see how he messes with the pitcher, the catcher, whoever it may be. I want some of that. Like, I I do want a little bit more of that in today's game.
0: And for the next two years, you're going to get more moments of that, because what's cool about all these rule changes and these players having larger bases and pitch clocks is that there's data from the minor leagues that we can point to. But for the most part, we just don't have a large enough sample size to know how it's going to change the numbers. And so the numbers nerds, as people like to call them, my my me being one of those nerds, the nerds don't have the data yet to be able to evaluate and adapt their strategy accordingly. And so that's going to be interesting to watch. I suspect that we're not going to see a 60 stolen base person because of the new rules, but maybe we'll see multiple fifties or multiple forties. And even that I think is a plus, but I just don't know what the data is going to say.
1: It's going to expand the pool. And and baseball is in a unique situation where they do have a minor league system to try out these rules, test things out. And because of rule changes in the CBA, I may be wrong about this, but they ha- even have a committee now that if something's not working out, they have the ability to change it within 30 days, which that's something that baseball hasn't had the ability to just change the rules whenever an obvious rule change needs to be had.
0: Oh, I was going to say they should call that the spider tack rule where they're basically like we can just change anything mid-season because of a PR
1: crisis. See, even or like spider tack, people were pissed off. About, see, sometimes, OK, I get the Raw Manfred is not the best commissioner in sport. You know, when you compare him like Silver and Goodell, it, you know, obviously it's a very thankless position to be the commissioner of any sports league. Honestly, I never understood the spider tag. People getting pissed off at Rob Manfred for changing the rule midseason. It's like, well, yeah, you can make the argument they could have changed it in the offseason. Sure. But the fact is, we all recognize the problem. We all said it was a problem. And then you're getting pissed at him when he fixes said problem. Come on, guys. We have to be a little bit reasonable here. Every sport
0: has traditionalist baseball is the only sport that has gatekeepers. And what gatekeepers are is you can't change the rules and you can't change the sport unless we approve of it. It's a uniquely baseball phenomenon where the traditionalists in the sport have gone so far to actively fight against any kind of change, regardless of what the change is. Now, is part of that baseball having an older demographic? Potentially. Is baseball a wider sport than, say, basketball or or football? Potentially. Is it that baseball leans more conservative? It's also true. But baseball is the only sport that has legitimate gatekeepers that have fought back against the rules. And what I give Manfred and the people in baseball's front office the immense credit for is they have pushed back against the gatekeepers and have gone forth with changing the rules potentially 15 years too late. Like they were... 11 years later than other sports to have instant replay, for example. But they have pushed forward and made these changes for the better.
1: I accept that baseball is always going to be a little bit behind the curve of other sports. And that's fine because, listen, it's not all completely bad to keep some traditions. I think some traditions are good. Like, I hate that we had pitchers that only go three innings now. I think that that sucks because I like a good starting pitcher. I like a definitive closer. I like a guy that you turn to, you know, the game's over And we're going to see less and less of that. In fact, pretty much every pitching record that's ever existed is safe to the end of time at this point, given that (laughs) pitchers just aren't performing at the same levels that they used to. Like I mentioned, all the stolen base numbers, those records are pretty much safe. But it's nice to be able to adapt as the game goes. I mean, we see it with all the other sports, you know, football, basketball, they see a problem, they fix the problem. I'm okay with us trying to think outside the box here. I mean if baseball really wanted to be full traditionalist then it would basically be cricket, right? We accept <laughs> that baseball changed the rules to make the game more enjoyable to watch and become baseball when it was the game was first game created. So now that we're here in 2023, and how the game's going to look different in 2030, 2040, 2050. There's always going to be different ways to improve the pitch clock. It seems like a change that needed to happen. It seemed, again, it seems like a change that needed to happen, like you mentioned, like probably 15 years ago. Um, there's always going to be long games. I like a good extra inning game, and I think obviously kept all the runner on second base. I think that's just a regular season rule, though, which over mm-hmm. the course of 162 games. Okay, that's fine. Playoffs, yeah, I don't want to see a runner on second base in extra innings. I want to see actual play of the game, proper play of the game to make a result happen. I think baseball's gotten right. I don't think that this situation changes anything because as you mentioned at the very start too, players will adjust. Players will adapt. You know, eventually players will know, oh shit, I only have what? 20 seconds to get set in the batter's box? Oh shit, I only have 20 seconds to throw this pitch. And you should more or less know what pitch you're going to throw or where you're going to throw it since you're we know how much homework is done in the locker room these days in baseball. You know, you know like trends and what what pitches this player likes, who doesn't like or what spots they're good at hitting at. If you're a smart pitcher, you're a smart catcher, you're a smart bullpen coach or whatever, you're you're already having those discussions already off the field so you don't need to be having the deliberation of it on the field
0: and it's batters too because remember the end of that Braves and Red Sox game was because the batter didn't get into the box with eight seconds to go on the pitch clock and so that was an automatic strike call yeah. so yeah you don't have every- to have that
1: Nomar Garcia Para adjust your batting gloves
0: Yeah. And look, it's going to be better in the long run. Baseball. And because this is the other thing that always gets confused. Fighting against change is not preventing change. It's just distorting what the change looks like. Change is inevitable. Things changing is an inevitable part of this life that we live in, not just baseball. This reflects all of society. And so you get this weird neutered version of baseball where it's like you're preserving the traditionalism of three hour games. And at the same time, you have 50 plus home runs and everyone shooting for OPS numbers because that's what gets paid. And so, it's going to change no matter what. You might as well embrace the change and actually work to do what the data says is is best for your sport, which I think baseball's starting to do. And until we get new data points, some, people are kind of going in a little bit blind. They don't know exactly how the, to find value within the margins because you've changed the rules. And the good news is once people figure out how to get certain uh, value in the margins as evaluators in front offices, change the rules again, make it a constant give and take, and that'll make it way more fun for all of us because then the game won't become predictable because we have all this data that tells us what to do. I think it's going to be super fun, and that's not just because my baseball team might be one of the three best in all of baseball this year. I think it's going to be super fun to watch what happens in the regular season in baseball this year.
1: All right, guys, well let us know in the comment section are you pro pitch clock? Are you against it what other changes are you for and against we'd like to hear your thoughts leave a like on the video subscribe to the channel follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle stay safe happy and healthy we will see you next time All right, Kyle, so another head coaching cycle has come to an end, and we have five new hirings. D'Amico Ryans going to the Texans, Shane Steichen into the Colts, Frank Wright, he is going to Carolina. Jonathan Gannon just accepted the Arizona Cardinals job, and Sean Payton, the most high-profile hire, goes to the Denver Broncos. Out of these five coaches, who do you think is under more pressure in Year one? Year
0: one? I would go with Frank Wright only because I don't think there's a ton of pressure on the other jobs. The Cardinals are going to be without Kyler Murray for most of, if not all, of next season. So it's it's a bit of a transition year in Arizona. Colts are going to have a first-year quarterback. I don't think they intend to compete right away. Maybe they go worse to first. The Colts one, I don't think there's pressure to go worse to first, though, in Indy. The Sean Payton one, that's a whole other can of worms we can talk about. And then D'Amico's with the Texans. I don't think there's really any pressure with the Texans because the Texans have been so atrociously terrible for the last three seasons. I'm gonna go Reich and Carolina just because Carolina has this owner who wants to compete really badly, but doesn't know how to do that. <laughs> and so they uh they are stuck in this like five and eleven purgatory as I call it, I believe. The last four years, they've drafted 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth in the NFL draft in various orders. So that's kind of the purgatory they find themselves in. I would go with Frank Reich probably as the the coach under the most pressure going into year one, just because like Carolina's already done the whole rebuilding thing. They kind of want a coach who can just turn the corner a little bit. They don't plan to tear this whole thing to the ground. If they did, they would have taken the offer of two first round picks for Brian Burns.
1: I'm going to agree with you there I think the David Teffer element to the Frank Reich hire is why Reich is going to be under more pressure not only that coming already off a season where you were just fired if there was any of these candidates to be one and done I think it had to be Frank Reich regardless of what's going on at the quarterback position because at this time Sam Darnold is still curling penned as the starter in the NFC South too I think you're under pressure because it's a very winnable division right now in a post Tom Brady era. Anyone could win the NFC South, so Frank Wright really has nowhere to run. Like, oh, you couldn't beat the Atlanta Falcons. You couldn't beat the Bradyless Bucks. You couldn't beat the Saints with whatever they have at quarterback right now. There's really no excuses for Frank Wright to not get the job done, other than the quarterback position, which. I would think that is going to be a big priority for them this offseason, whether they're going to choose to look at some of the free agent or trade candidates this offseason, or if they're going to look into the younger quarterback. If you get the younger quarterback in there, though, the question is, does Frank Reich get automatically more leashed to try and develop said quarterback? Because the thing about when you bring in a Frank Reich is you are bringing in an offensive guy. And there was some debate last offseason whether or not it was right for the Colts to fire him. I think it was just because... You've already been through three, four years of Frank Reich. So I think time had already come. You hadn't really yielded the results you want. Plus, there's a lot of distrust between Jim Ursay and Reich after the Carson Wentz trade. So it seemed like that that marriage had already concluded. With Carolina, if they do get a young guy, usually you like to give two years with the head coach just to try and make it work. I think most likely they might either just be stuck with Sam Darnold or it's going to be one of the (laughs) veteran quarterbacks on the market.
0: Woo. Mitch Trubisky, baby. Get excited, Carolina. You're going to have Mitch Trubisky starting week one next season for you. The guy who got punched by Deontay Johnson and then got benched. That was a story that came out during Super Bowl week. Uh, the, The other part of this that I think adds to what we're talking about is the interim guy was incredibly popular. In Steve Wilkes, And I thought he was going to get the full-time job. It seemed like they were heading in a direction where he would get the full-time job that didn't happen. And so the fact that the guy who was there before you was very well liked adds a little bit of a burden to you as well. I know Mike McDaniel was dealing with some similar stuff when he came into Miami last year and things seem to be okay. You know, they've righted the ship pretty well. The offense is better. They've changed a lot of the roster, but that, that is something that they're coming into where the, the guy before you or at least the interim guy before you was immensely popular in that locker room. And so if it's going to be a situation where you expect most of the same players to come back and make a leap from this past year, if you're bringing in your own players, then it's not really a problem because you just filter out those old guys and bring in the new ones. But that doesn't really seem to be the direction Carolina is going. So I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, they did trade Christian McCaffrey. So like maybe that opens the door for other trades still, but doesn't seem to be the direction they're going. They're kind of just trying to rebuild the plane in the sky, even though the plane is missing an engine.
1: Who do you think out of these coaches is most likely to have success in year one? Okay. Let
0: me preface first and foremost that I have said this every year for five years and I will continue to say it. I have literally no idea what makes a good head coaching hire in the NFL. Like Mike McDaniel, I was laughing at that last year because I'm like, he was there playing D option. They went after Sean Payton and Tom Brady. They then pivoted to Jim Harbaugh. They then went for Brian Dayball and Dayball took the Giants job over theirs. And then they went to Mike McDaniel and Mike McDaniel looks like he might be one of the best hires of this cycle so like i have genuinely no idea i thought sean McVay was going to be terrible when he was with the rams so i have no idea what makes a good nick sirianni who would have thought
1: he'd be in a super bowl a few years later right
0: Two years. It took two years for Sirianni to get to a super, like literally I have no idea, not a single idea okay, what makes a good coach. So <laughs> Let's
1: break it down a little bit. Let's think about who was built for success at this point. Uh, so as we mentioned, Jonathan Gannon kind of gets screwed out the gate with his quarterback injured. This year's probably a wash for them anyway. Carolina, like I said, the pathway's there just given the division they're in. If they could get average to above average quarterback play at all this year, they could be in line to win this division. Sean Payton, though, why I think he's more built for success in year one is again, that defense. I mean, the stat was there all year, right? If they just scored more than 18 points a game, they would have been like 10 and 1, 9 and 1 at a certain point in the season. If they could just get Any offensive production that they weren't having last year, then this team, I'm not going to predict them to win their division because the Chiefs exist, but I will say that they can be competing for a wild card. There's three wild card spots in the NFL at this point in history. Sean Payton, year one, makes the most sense out of all these guys to have success. And I would say... Counter to the first question, he's under the least amount of pressure given that whatever failures they have, they could probably write off to Russell Wilson.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I think Sean Payton is most likely to have success in year one. The one that might be the most that might be a flash in the pan situation with Denver, because by circumstance, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, I don't even know if Sean Payton can fix this mess in Denver. And I know it's Sean Payton who's like going to be a Hall of Fame coach. And I'm like, I don't really feel like he can fix this mess in two or three years. And by that point, you know, like, what are we doing there? So the one that has the potential to have big success is the Texas and that's kind of wild to say but the way that they have success is the same way the jets had success this last year which is drafting the offensive and defensive rookie of the year in the same draft class so if the texans with their two top 12 picks end up picking the offensive and defensive rookie of the years i think they have enough to be able to make that thing work i mean the the game I played with the Texans is like, oh, apparently they play for the Texans now. OJ Howard it's apparently a Texan. You know, they've got NFL caliber players on that team. It's just if they get I mean, I'm going to say Bryce Young. I know that Bryce Young not a locked in number top two pick in the draft or number one quarterback. But like, say Bryce Young comes in and wins rookie of the year and say they pick uh, the guy from Texas A&M at the 12 pick and he wins defensive rookie of the year then you know maybe there's a turning point there for houston and domico because the broncos wanted domico over sean payton so clearly people believe in domico ryan's coaching ability and it seems like the texans got a higher way more qualified than they deserve
1: yeah my only thing and again this is gonna be from a 49ers fan someone who loves domico ryan's what he's done for the team the last couple seasons i do worry long term for him just In general, if I was hiring, firing coaches in the NFL, it'd be very hard for me to hire a defensive coordinator, a defensive head coach. Anytime that offensive coordinator underneath him has success, they're gone. Or if they're not having success, they're gone. And I just hate whenever you have a rookie quarterback, which we're assuming the Texans will have, and you have to constantly keep rotating the offensive coordinator position. So I think that that's problematic for him long term I mean we're already starting to see that with Robert Sala and how long he'll be with the New York Jets yeah they love what he's doing for them defensively but At a certain point, they want a guy that's going to develop a younger quarterback. That's why the Jets are looking into the veteran quarterback market. So that's not as much of a problem. Short term, D'Amico's safe. He signed that six-year deal. And even if go into this understanding that six-year deals kind of are meaningless, he's still going to get paid for six years. So it's a good deal for D'Amico either way. I think that he's the type of guy that's going to bring a lot of energy early on. He's the type of guy that like his players will rally behind him. We're going to see some tough play from the Texans. Jonathan Gannon signed with the Arizona Cardinals. And Shane Steichen is going to be the head coach of Indianapolis. The Eagles are going to have a lot of change going into this next season. Like Jason Kelsey, there's rumors he might retire. That's going to heavily impact their offensive line. They're just not going to be able to afford to pay people in the same way. And Jalen Hurts, he's earned himself a contract, you know, Jalen Hurts has earned himself a top five NFL contract for sure. So if you're the Eagles, and you want to continue this run of success, how likely do you think that is? about as likely as it was five years ago,
0: right? <laughs> because we just went through this with the Eagles where they had the quarterback that was coming up on a giant contract. They had the offensive line that was aging like Jason Peters turning 39 and Jason Kelsey with retirement rumors. They had Zach Ertz, the older tight end who they replaced with Dallas Cotter. Chris Long retired. They ended up this year replacing him with Hassan Reddicks. So it feels like we were kind of just here not too long ago with the Eagles. And uh, it's super interesting because they are in that same position again they're going to extend the quarterback there's no fifth year option on Jalen Hurts so he's got to get it this offseason or else his contract is up at the end of next year and they've said we're gonna pay him close to 50 million dollars you don't usually hear that from the president and the owner at this stage of the game they're like yeah we're gonna pay him whatever he wants so they're gonna pay Jalen Hurts and like you said that means a couple pieces aren't gonna be be there in a couple years the eagles kind of just went through this five years ago and uh they really messed up badly five years ago <laughs> like they, it, they miraculously pulled themselves out of it but like they had to go to some pretty low lows in terms of building themselves out of that lull they came in after winning the super bowl in 2017
1: so looking at it the unrestricted free agents for the philadelphia eagles cornerback james bradbury defensive tackle Fletcher Cox. Tackle, Andre Dillard. Linebacker, TJ Edwards. Safety, Marcus Epps. Safety, CJ Gardner-Johnson. Defensive end, Brandon Graham. Defensive tackle, Javon Hargraves. Defensive tackle, Linval Joseph. Center, Jason Kelsey. Punter, Brett Kerb. Gardner Minshew is up. Zach Paschal at wide receiver. Defensive end, Robert Quinn, who they just acquired this past season. Miles Sanders. Boston Scott. Isaac Simalu. Namdegan Sue and Kaiser White. That's a lot of names. <laughs> in particular 19 the players. Yeah, in particular the positions that are most heavily affected. Two of their running back rotation, Miles Sanders and Boston Scott both gone. And then you look at the impact on the defensive line. I get it, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, these guys are probably in their sunset years, but at the same time, they're still really good. They're why the Eagles were really good. If then you lose either of those guys, I I think they'll come to some sort of contract with these two because I think for for a guy like Fletcher Cox, he's like the heartbeat of your Philadelphia Eagles defense. He's been there the longest. Uh, Brandon Graham, too, has been there for a long time. They're okay with letting a guy like uh, Namington Sue walk because Sue was, again, just a mid-season acquisition. Javon Hargraves might be on the way out. But losing all that talent because these guys are all talented. And you're just not going to be able to pay them all. That's going to hurt. Like, I don't know how much it hurts. I think that when I look at the composition of the NFC East. Okay, so the Giants, they were a nice little surprise this year. Will the Giants be better next year? The Cowboys, I think they'll still be good. The Commanders, still kind of like in limbo right now. But they did beat this Eagles team last year in a regular season game. So if this Eagles team starts becoming less talented because that's was their main advantage over the NFC entirely this year is top to bottom. They had the most talented roster. If this roster is no longer the most talented roster, then what is this Eagles team?
0: And this is why it's so hard to remain sustainable in the NFL. And the good news for the Eagles, like I know it sounds doom and gloom when we list 19 players, nine of them who started in the Super Bowl. If you count TJ Edwards as the 12th guy in that linebacking core and Gardner Johnson as a slot corner, like nine people who started in the Super Bowl. While it does sound doom and gloom, they have so much draft capital stored in their back pocket to be able to work with, not just having the Saints pick this past year, but like the two best players in college football in 2021 are on the Eagles and didn't play at all in the Super Bowl. We're talking about Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean. They are betting on those dudes being high caliber NFL players. And so that's the thing that could help them remain sustainable. It's just it's a daunting task that like even the 49ers messed up. They were bad for a couple of years in there and then they got back to, you know, we win 10 games to end the regular season and go to the NFC championship and lose. But they were bad for a couple of years in there. So like it's just really hard to remain sustainable, especially when, I mean, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox were talking about pregame of the Super Bowl. Like we fully anticipate this could be our last game in Philadelphia after being there for a decade.
1: So if you're the Eagles going into this draft, you have three picks within the top 62. You have the number 10 overall pick you mentioned from the Saints, and then you have your own pick. You have your 30th pick. They don't have any picks in rounds four, five or six but they do have two sevens. So that's currently what the Eagles have draft wise. Given that you do have to reload at so many different positions. With that number 10 overall pick, do you stay at that pick? Or do you consider trying to trade down and get more assets to fill in the holes in your roster that you're going to have after this offseason?
0: They've done it twice now. They just keep trading back. They traded back from six to 12 to get Devonta Smith and the Dolphins could get Jalen Waddle. They took that first round pick and they traded back again with the New Orleans Saints last year. So they have this pick because they've traded back each of the last two drafts. And if the right offer's on the table, sure, trade back. People spend way too much money on their top draft picks because, uh, like in the Saints case, they gave up two first-round picks for Chris Olave. Love Chris Olave, Don't think he's worth giving up two first-round picks for, even on the rookie contract. So whatever the situation is, I'm sure Howie Roseman has earned the benefit of the doubt in that circumstance. And the thing that happens when you subtract those players and you get younger is... More of the burden falls on the stars, and in this case, the stars is one's particular star, which is Jalen Hurts. And I mean, as great as we think Jalen Hurts is, we we recognize that 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 growth that Jalen Hurts saw this past year was a byproduct of a lot of talent being around him, the right offensive system to his skill set and putting him in positions to succeed so that he could put up one of the great Super Bowl performances of all time, which I point out. Nick Foles in his Super Bowl had 373 yards four touchdowns, one turnover. Jalen Hurts in this Super Bowl, 374 yards, one more yard than Nick Foles, four touchdowns, one turnover. They basically played exactly okay, the same game.
1: But Let's ease up on the Nick Foles, Jalen Hurts comparisons. <sighs> Beyond that, they are not the same player. No, not at all. <laughs> so yeah, Nick Foles, great season. Jalen Hurts, I expect him to have future great seasons, uh, especially because I think the thing with Jalen Hurts that we obviously all talked about was coming into the year, he struggled to complete basic passes. That was not as much of a problem this year. The fact that he was a high 60s, 70% completion guy was a revelation to his ability to be a franchise quarterback like the Eagles are prepared to make him. We're, We're starting to see that a lot more, obviously. Josh Allen was another guy that struggled to complete basic passes, and the Bills made him into a super star quarterback jalen hurts when you look at the current composition of the nfc he is the best quarterback i mean i i don't look at any other quarterback currently in the nfc what like a injured matthew stafford dak prescott the definition of mid we'll see what <laughs> Hi, happens with kirk cousins <laughs> actually kirk cousins probably like he has his whole photo next to mid in the uh Merriam-Webster dictionary (laughs) yeah no Kirk Cousins Kirk
0: Cousins definition of purgatory man that's a that's a purgatory quarterback guys
1: that we used to think that were of a higher tier like Kyler Murray who the hell knows at this point yeah like Jalen Hurts stands above everyone else currently in the NFC and that could change fast but for the most part I think even if he does fall off a little bit I think he'll still remain as a top three to top five quarterback in that conference You mentioned
0: the perfect comparison for where the Eagles actually are. Because I wanted to off the top bring up like five years ago, they were in this exact same situation where they had to extend the rookie quarterback and it meant that they lost some pieces and they went to the bottom and built it back up. The perfect comparison for where the Philadelphia Eagles are right now is the Buffalo Bills after that first AFC championship where Kansas City just blew them out the building. Uh, It was like 31 to seven in the fourth quarter. That is the perfect comparison for where the Eagles are right now, because you've got two years with the current core of this team. After two years, you got to rethink everything because Jalen Hurts is going to be making $50 million against the cap. AJ Brown's going to be making $25 million against the cap. Those two players combined making $75 million versus... What they are right now, which I believe is roughly about 20 million between the two. So you have to rethink everything after that point. When Buffalo lost in 2020. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs were making a combined $15 million per year against the cap. This last year, two years later, they were only making $27 million against the cap. In 2023, they'll be making a combined, as it stands right now, $51 million against the cap. The margins fall apart at some point. You have to find value within the margins. And the reason the Buffalo Bills have lost in the second round of the playoffs, other than scheduling breakdowns where they had to play Kansas City in the second round instead of the AFC championship the year before is buffalo has not drafted a pro bowler in four seasons the eagles are in a position where they have the excess of draft capital and they're going to have to start planning for what two years down the road is going to look like while also trying to go all in on winning championships because you know you have a championship caliber roster right now and threading that line is something that i mean at the end of the day we can kind of say buffalo didn't succeed at they had two-year run with rookie josh allen and after they made that afc championship they lost to Kansas City and then lost to Cincinnati at home in the playoffs. Those feel like disappointments given the level of talent they had. So the Eagles right now are in the position of Buffalo two years ago. And I think following that trend is going to be interesting to watch as the Eagles replace coordinators, just make roster decisions and try and draft young
1: players to complement Jalen Hurts. And I guess I should not underrate the coordinators loss. Steichen... Had to have a huge hand in whatever development Jalen Hurts had this past offseason. And the fact that they're going to move on, we'll see. Sirianni, obviously, he's a guy who cut his teeth offensively. Although he was not calling plays, I'd like to think that he had some involvement as the head coach into the offensive play calling. So hopefully Sirianni could just kind of pick up the pieces where they left off. Didn't really work too well for his mentor, though, right? Compare this to the 2017 Eagles whenever Doug Peterson lost Frank Reich it became harder for him, even as offensive minded head coach. So we'll see if Sirianni in losing Steichen will have that same issue that Doug Peterson, his predecessor had. Anyway, guys, going to leave it up to you in the comment section. How do you think this year's Philadelphia Eagles will do coming off an offseason that they're bound to lose some talent? Like to hear your thoughts. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel, follow us on all our social medias from Juju and Kyle. Stay safe, happy and healthy. And we will see you next time.
0: You throw a fourth TD, on a dime you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins, Josh Allen gets Bills the wins. You want to play the Chiefs, and to beat Andy Reid and his schemes, avenging your past mistakes, and take the Bills to the big game. Three years, I thought you was phony, got digs, then you flipped it on me. I was thinking you were Carson Wentz, you made your mark, became an MVP. Deep throws, always looking daunting Tossed up to Davis and McKenzie It's hard for teams to deny it When Allen beats double safeties You keep losing to Mahomes Sitting on the bench 13 to go Overtime coin flips turned up wrong Makes your season seem so marginal And this year you'll find a way Gonna get past Kansas City Allen and the Bills are gonna be Super Bowl champs 2023. Oh, I want to run the ball, don't want to slide, I just want to dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. I want to run the ball, don't want to slide, I'm just going to dive. Send me the call, and I'll throw the ball. You throw a fourth TD. On a dime, you ain't got no fear of any Colts or Dolphins, Josh Allen gets Bills the wins You want to play the Chiefs, and to beat any Reed in his schemes, avenging your past mistakes And take the Bills to the big game